everyone. So just a reminder that the podcast is now being sponsored by my favorite photo app in New York City, Picture House in the Small Dark Room, which I'm super psyched about. Yes. Not just because they're sponsoring the podcast, but because we're going to be doing a lot of different things with them. They're going to be involved with our mentorship program and some other things we have um, that we're, we're working on. Yeah, this is a really nice partnership. Awesome partnership. Yeah. It's, it's a perfect fit, right? Mm-hmm. So Picture House in the Small Dark Room, for those who don't know, is a darkroom and post-production studio that's uh, been servicing the photo community in New York City since... 1996, so they know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So if you have a question about film, their amazing staff can help you with processing, high-res scanning, darkroom printing, digital post. And they have an amazing team, um, most of whom have been with them for more than five years, and a lot of them um, close to 20 years, which is Mm -hmm. says a lot about the people at the top and how they interact with the people who work there. And, and they really care about the work that goes through the shop. And it, it doesn't matter if it's doing one print, single frame scan, or a huge 200 image post-production advertising job. They give all the jobs the same amount of, of love and attention. So, oh, and, and I want to say, because I think this is super cool, they just opened a little photo book store yes. um, there at the facility. So you can go and drop off film or whatever and hang out in their photo book store. There's a couch there. And it's really highly curated titles. They do um, artist talks and book signings. So right. these people are in our world. We love them. And uh, and check out their events, even if they're not uh, related to our events. <laughs> yes, yes. They are autonomous. That's right. <laughs> um, they've been around a lot longer than us. Um, and how do folks get in touch with them? Right, so check them out at PHTSDR, that's for Picture House, the Small Darkroom, dot com. And you can also check out their really great Instagram account at the same name, PHTSDR. Uh, and they have a lot of great postings there, and they've been uh, sharing some of our posts there, which is really nice. Yeah, yeah. very nice of them. And then you can also, uh, at their website, uh, see all the uh, upcoming events. Right on. Okay, so once again... Picture House in the Small Dark Room, welcome to the Photo Work family. Yes, welcome. All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the Photo Work podcast. I almost just said, welcome to the photo work dark room. <laughs> In honor of and, our new sponsor. <laughs> and right at the last minute, I was like, that's not right. Wait a minute. Is that a tease? No. <laughs> that's Michael. And he and I just recorded a promo for Picture House in the Small Dark Room. And obviously, my brain needed a little bit more time before that's right. running should, into the intro. Just space that out a little more. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god just not that nimble anymore um <laughs> all right let's leave this blooper in and keep rolling hello and welcome to the photo work podcast the talky and touchy feely version of my i think it's a book photo mm-hmm. work 40 photographers on process and practice the thing we love process and practice and the inner workings of everyone's mind i'm sasha wolf and joined as usual by the man 
single-handedly holding up the state of New Jersey, well, along with <laughs> with Cory Booker, Mr. Michael Chauvin Dalton. Yes. Hello, Michael. Uh, oh, hello. I do love Cory Booker. Yes. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, getting over a little uh, cold, I think, uh, induced by uh, allergies, which I know a lot of people are feeling right now in this part of the world. So Yes. My allergies <laughs> are actually every spring, the Photo Work mm-hmm. podcast has a conversation about allergies. Um, <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> so to our dedicated listeners, this will all be familiar. But it's interesting. <laughs> so I'm, we're behind you, right? So mm-hmm. when I'm in the city, my allergies have been terrible the past few weeks. But up here, they're moderate. Um, oh, that's nice. It's, it's colder up here, but it'll come and get me. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be in the city in two days. So I'll be suffering mm-hmm. right along with you. But just so you don't feel too alone, I pulled my back uh, this mm. morning. So I'm hobbling around. So we're together. We're Good. a couple of old, <laughs> decrepit people. <laughs> here we are falling apart keeping the show going <laughs> the wheels i think yes. i just heard the sound of wheels falling off anyway um so we have a we have, we have a lot going on and mm-hmm. um i can't remember if in the last podcast i think we mentioned that we're going to have a live zoom coming up yeah taylor is going to drop that info any day i think i can say it's on may 24th um, I think Taylor, so. Tower, don't don't um, magically <laughs> appear in front of me and smack me over the head. Yeah, I was going to say we might hear from Taylor later. <laughs> right, be like you knuckleheads. Um, anyway, I won't say any more. But that's that's that. put it on your calendar. That's um, right. Check out the uh, photowork.foundation <laughs> site for more information. Yep, and uh, we just coming down the home stretch on on putting all the little bits and pieces together for the mentorship program, which will will launch soon. Yeah. And that's a lot, but we have a great advisory committee and they're working on this as well. And what else? We have a great episode today, Mm -hmm. most importantly, with the wonderful, um, really interesting artist, Carolyn Drake. So I had a fantastic time talking to Carolyn. She's such a deep thinker and she's just really sensitive and Mm -hmm. honest and i was really mesmerized at times did you enjoy the conversation yes i mean when you think of someone who speaks with no pretension caroline speaks like that it's it is so honest and i love the way she thinks about who she's photographing and where she's photographing and i was especially uh, I, I especially identified with the idea of trying to figure out what home is, uh, something I've mm-hmm. done for a long time, and yeah. what that means, and how to be part of a society or a culture, or just how to be part of where you want to live. And and I really, yeah. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I know you've experienced that for more complicated reasons that you can talk about or not talk about. Obviously, mm-hmm. home and what home is is always been very complicated for me. It's much more recent. You know, both my Mm -hmm. folks passed away in in the past year and a half. And all of a sudden, as people who have experienced that know, it's extremely disorienting. You, Mm. your parents, assuming you have, you know, at least a decent relationship with them. And I was very close to my parents. um, Really give you a sense of being rooted. And, you know, between that and moving upstate, I, I think about this 
all the time, but obviously right. for you, it's yeah. It's my my story is pretty complicated, and I I'll keep it kind of short. I was you know uh, adopted and then orphaned very young by my adopted parents, and so I have this um, yeah. I've moved around quite a bit, and I have this kind of nomadic instinct to to not really feel attached to any one place, and I had to overcome that for my own kids. So I you know I mm-hmm. wanted to I wanted them to feel a certain belonging to a place to identify with a place. And I have to sort of hold myself back from saying, let's move. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I feel like it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know? Of course. No, I'm so, sure yeah. that that instinct is very deep seated mm-hmm. in you. For me, it was the opposite, by the way. It's sort of funny. It's like, for me, right. my instinct's always been like, stay. You know, life was mm. very shaky for me. Also, when I was very young, but for me, mm-hmm. it translated into don't like just stay and don't cause oh, any right problems and don't rock the boat and you know make sure things don't go sideways again and but now right. I'm sort of cut free I mean so it's interesting but anyway Carolyn really her discussion of this is is and and how it manifests within her mm-hmm. is really interesting and then of yeah, course and is, it's is, it's rooted in the work she makes so absolutely yes, exactly yeah. well on that note, we've with a, a long intro, but um, yes. I think folks can put up with us. So, um, <laughs> but but we'll get to it now. So, Michael, if you don't mind, please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Carolyn Drake. Carolyn Drake, welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. It's awesome to have you on. I'm so happy we worked this out. Looking forward to getting into it all with you. But yeah, so we start every podcast with, you know, your journey. Where are you from? And and when did you start studying photography? Where are you now? Etc. So if you could tell us about yourself, that would be awesome. Okay. Well, I am 51 years old, so it's a very long story. And right now, I am sitting in a room that was meant to be a bedroom that my parents could stay in when they came here, but it is actually a storage room. So I am surrounded by decades worth of hard drives and books and collected things from different projects (laughs) that belong to both me and my partner, Andres. And both of them are intermingled together, and it's on all sides of me. Um, So it's kind of like the chaos of my origin story is surrounding me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, literally. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. So I was born in Los Angeles. Um, My first home was married student housing at UCLA. My dad was getting a PhD in plasma physics. Wow. And my parents moved across the country to Maryland when I was six years old. So I was displaced quite early in life from the golden utopian world of California to Greenbelt, Maryland. And I grew up in Greenbelt. That's kind of, (laughs) I don't have much to say about Greenbelt right now, but eventually... I left Greenbelt and I went to college at Brown University and I studied a combination of American studies and something that we called MCM, which was modern culture and media. And that was really my first 
exposure to like the idea of visual culture and mm -hmm. art. I mean, not art. I still didn't really know what art was at that point, but mm -hmm. I got really into, I mean, I had actually planned to study physics in college because that's what I was good at because that's what my dad did. Yeah. But at Brown, I discovered film. Like I took these classes where we watched and analyzed a lot of films. And then I was also mm -hmm. studying like critical theory and feminist theory and using those things to think about the films and analyze them. And so I think that provided a kind of core for me that has carried on over the decades of like mm -hmm. this kind of critical perspective, like this love of visual culture and other aspects of culture, but also a kind of tendency to put a critical eye on it. Mm -hmm. And then... Yeah, and I did a little, I took a photo class at RISD while I was there, but it was just for fun at the very end once I had finished all of my requirements. Yeah, Rhode Island School of Design, which is right near Brown. Yeah. yeah, and then I spent several years in New York trying to pay off my loans and learn how to make a living and mm -hmm. figure out actually what to do with my life. And I think when I turned 30 was when... I started taking photo classes like, okay, I got to figure out <laughs> something that I really like here. And I had had hmm. this job in multimedia. So it kind of corporate slash publishing. I mean, it, yeah, it was corporate, I would say. Like working with teams of people to produce multimedia things like CD-ROMs mm -hmm. and then websites, creating like interactive products for a long time and... I just realized I needed more independence, and um, that's kind of when I chose photography. And I took a class at ICP with Jeff Jacobson. I don't know if you ever knew him, mm -hmm. but mm -mm. actually I took a couple classes at ICP. But Jeff was like this person who believed, like we had this one assignment where we were going to go out on a street corner and just stay there all day with our camera and see what happens. And mm -hmm. I ended up doing this photo shoot on that day, which he just brought attention to. He, I just could feel that he believed in me after that. And mm -hmm. it meant so much, that one little... It was like the first time I kind of believed that this could be actually something that I could do because this person believed mm -hmm. in me. Yep, and get it. that's... Kind of my origin story, but you know, my origin story is continuing to this day, but that's kind of like <laughs> the origin story up to turning 30. <laughs> and then, I mean, so much obviously has happened. So, how did some of those things that we'll talk about, like, you know, you're part of Magnum, you've published many books, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to blah, blah, blah your career, but you know, how did you then sort of take off into um, having a you know, a career. Mm -hmm. I am always, that word is so loaded, but, but you know what I mean, for, yeah. for lack of a, a better word. Well, I guess the starting point for that was leaving leaving New York. I went to this um, graduate program in visual communication at Ohio University, which I think at the time, it was good for me in some ways, because it was the first time I kind of devoted my life to photography, like, this is mm -hmm. the real deal. But it was also, I mean, very 
oriented towards photojournalism and formulas in some way. Like they, there mm-hmm. was a certain amount of teaching you the right way to do things, which mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize how much of that there would be. So there were good things and bad things about it. But that's kind of helped me launch into a career where I could do assignments. I got a internship for National Geographic, which Mm -hmm. is a magazine that I worked for that helped me make a living for many years. But just like Ohio University, I kind of have some mixed feelings about those experiences. But, you know, like I said earlier, when I was in college, I learned to have a critical perspective on things. So, you know, when I think of OU and when I think of National Geographic, I've spent a lot of times kind of dissecting the problems of those institutions. Mm-hmm. And I think I came to art eventually in response to the problems I had with the journalism world. Mm-hmm. But I I think I see what happened. I, I got a, after OU, I got a Fulbright and I lived in Ukraine for a year on this Fulbright. And that was kind of amazing because I just had, it was a year of freedom mm-hmm. and learning how to live in a place that had a different ideological framework than where I was from in a different language and mm-hmm. different climate. And then from there, I ended up living abroad for almost a decade. I moved with my partner, Andres, to... Istanbul, and we both kind of worked on independent projects while Andres trying to... Andres is also a photographer. Yeah, Andres Gonzalez, we actually met in grad school. That's, I guess, the other positive development that came out of grad school. Um, <laughs> yeah, he... Well, he's now getting more into film, but we lived in Istanbul and kind of found projects and found assignments and had this very liberated, low-budget, exciting, learning life for many years in Istanbul. And then I think we decided, I, I feel like my life pans out in decades, like every decade I kind of reinvent myself. But uh-huh. <laughs> part of leaving the United States was feeling freed from like the categories that you have to play into and of how you think about the world here. Mm -hmm. Like the economic categories, the race categories, the gender categories, like it feels very fixed and redundant here, like the way things are organized and living in and spending a lot of time in other places and detaching from this country. It was liberating in many ways, but we also eventually decided we needed to face where we came from and Mm -hmm. start having the courage to deal with that. So we moved back here and we didn't really know where to go, but we really wanted to engage with the country. But of course, there's no one single way to engage or one single place that, you know, defines what this country is. So we, we took a road trip from I thought, oh, let's move to Omaha, Nebraska for some reason. And Andreas was like, let's move to New Orleans. And we took this I'm with road- Andreas, but anyway, no disrespect to Omaha. Sorry, but... Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, in retrospect, I don't know. I think, you know, after living in Istanbul, it is the most chaotic, crazy city. 
I oh, think yeah. I needed okay. a break from like the <laughs> yeah. most dyna- like the most dynamic and yeah. populated city in the world. <laughs> right. Got but it. we took this road trip from Omaha to New Orleans, and we made a compromise and decided to move to Memphis. It, it's kind of halfway in between. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't really work out within the first week, so we ended up in this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like this is how our life goes. It's not really pre-planned. I'm getting that. Yeah, uh, we ended up in this small town in Mississippi. Well, I mean, part of what we were looking for, I think, was how can we live as independent artists mm-hmm. in a place where, you know, we're not rich, we don't make that much money. How can we afford to live in this country and be creative mm-hmm. and independent? And what we found this small town called Water Valley in Mississippi, which was kind of in the process of reviving and being reinvented. And so we spent a couple of years there. Then to make a long story short, we spent several years trying to find our place in this country. Mm-hmm. And we moved to Athens, Georgia for a year. And then finally, we migrated back to his homeland and a place where I have roots as well. And that's in California. And have you found home? <laughs> well, we do have a home. Um, which we spend a lot of time trying to fix up and make it work right. But we also spend a lot of time thinking about other options. So Uh (laughs) I can't say that it's permanent. Yeah. Sometimes we think... You're non-monogamous in the home (laughs) department. Yes. Or serial monogamous. I I don't know. (laughs) Joke's going nowhere. (laughs) But I left. <laughs> I pre- the checks in the mail. <laughs> I mean, this town where we live is Vallejo. It's, I mean, we obviously invested a lot of time in trying to think about like what place we wanted to be in this country, and and like even within California, what really sold us on it is I I had actually taken this, I was trying to work on this project like tracing this family diary of a distant relative who had migrated to California on the Oregon Trail, and it ended up in Vallejo. And so I was staying here trying to make pictures, and I was like, this is a ghost town. This is like, this town feels like it's dead. And then Andres and I went to a taco truck for lunch one day, and it was like this wooden picnic table and all kinds of people... It just felt like the example of diversity that like I wanted from America mm-hmm. that I just had struggled to find. Mm-hmm. And here it was sitting at this picnic table. And that kind of sold us on the idea of settling down here for a while. Oh, that's a lovely sort of vignette. So thank you for all of that. I actually, that was really interesting. And, and I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's, you know, says a lot about living as an artist and, you know, how someone like you who's won Guggenheim fellowships and had the Fulbright, as you said, and has published many books and, it, you know, that it's still really a challenge and, you know, and as a member of Magnum, etc., that, you know, it's still really a challenge both to find, in your case, your home, but from a sort of artistic standpoint, to, you know, find a way of making it it work, even with, 
you know, a certain amount of, of what we would consider success and recognition. And, and I know from the different work you've created that, you know, you're still, it seems, also really grappling with, you know, what type of artist you are, even though each project you do seems extremely confident. And, you know, each one of your projects is, is so rigorous and deeply considered and, and really tight formally. And, but obviously, you know, can see you sort of grappling with maybe not what type of artist you want to be, but you, you're certainly open to flowing with whatever is, is in you at the moment. So, you know, your most recent book was published by TBW in, in 2020 is a, a book called Knit Club. And it's really an incredible book. I mean, just a really incredible achievement. So congratulations. Got a ton of recognition and has, has been exhibited in many places and um, was shortlisted for the Perry Photo Aperture Book of the Year. And, you know, Knit Club feels very different than some of the work you made earlier that you were very well known for, such as Two Rivers. So how do we, and could you tell folks about those two projects, just using them as an example, and then we'll talk more about Knit Club. But obviously we don't have any, this is an audio recording, so we have to try and attempt to to explain to people mm-hmm. what the work looks like. But, yeah. yeah. I definitely have, just to kind of backtrack a little bit, I've definitely allowed myself to follow my gut in the current moment. Like I've, I've kind of allowed myself to be that kind of artist rather than somebody who, I just, I'm just not somebody who has found a consistent, I mean, I think my voice is my voice. Like all the work that I've made comes from me and comes from my brain and my inclinations, but those are changing Mm -hmm. and in flux. And so I'm definitely someone who embraces change and values like the ability to change and be fluid more than fixing my art Mm -hmm. as something clearly definable for better or worse. And I think Two Rivers was, it was a project that I worked on while I was based in Istanbul, and it followed these two rivers across, I think, five different countries. So they start in the mountains near the border between China and Tajikistan and um, Kyrgyzstan, and then they flow across, back and forth across the borders of five different countries that end with the phrase Stan. Mm-hmm. So Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan. And they flow down to the Aral Sea, which used to be one of the largest lakes in the world. And it has kind of turned into an environmental disaster as a result of excessive farming and irrigation. Mm -hmm. And so I traveled through these countries for several years, kind of making pictures in a not a formal way, kind of reportage, I guess you could call it, but not reportage either. Like, I think the pictures weren't meant to have captions. They're meant to be lyrical, if Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. That was the goal, at least. Mm -hmm. 
So that was a multi-year project, and that's what gave me the Guggenheim. Mm -hmm. But I was also working on that alongside this project, Wild Pigeon, which was in the western part of China. And the reason I mentioned Wild Pigeon is just because I think when I finished Two Rivers and I dove into trying to finish Wild Pigeon, I think my whole... A lot of my ideas about photography started to fall apart. Like my impulse for being out there and making these pictures out in the world, telling stories about other people's lives. Like I really started to lose the ability to validate in my own head doing that. And with Wild Pigeon, I ended up inviting the people I had photographed to remake my images. And to me, that was kind of a turning point. Mm -hmm. Like then I also kind of moved back to the United States soon after that. And I just, it was like, how can I do photography anymore? <laughs> because what the real meaning came when the, when the people in the pictures actually made the final image. So what is my role here and how can I do anything else with photography? So I think after that... Was that a crisis? I started... I mean, I don't mean to over-dramatize well, anything. I feel, like, I feel like everything is a crisis for me, really. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> my latest project is a crisis. Like, but that was a crisis, yeah. But it wasn't like a And I just want to say... Crisis. I'm sorry, cause I, I want to uh -huh. let you finish. But I, I do want to say, because I think it's important, that that work... There was a solo exhibition of that work at San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, a six-month solo exhibition. So the, it's very well received. So the, the, whatever crisis you're having has nothing to do with the reception to it. This is just going on in, inside of you, it seems like. It's also, I think it's also, it was going on inside of me, but I think there's things going on inside the photo world too. Oh, like yeah. we're all kind of... A lot of people think, I mean, it's been going on since before I started photography. I was like, who has a right to photograph know, like, who that, that talked about? Yeah, yes. like when I was in mm -hmm. college, we talked about documentary as a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> and that was like th three decades ago. Right. So, yeah. But it has come to a head for sure over the past number of years, few years. Yeah, it has. And so, you know, I've been definitely thinking about that and thinking of like, in making the new work, and especially in Knit Club, like, I think in Knit Club, I really um, resisted the whole idea of documentation, mm -hmm. and really kind of pushed to create work that's rooted in the real world, and real feelings in the world, mm -hmm. but that is not trying to document what's happening in the real world. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of mixing up things in the real world to create something that wasn't actually there, but that still feels kind of real, because it is kind of real, mm -hmm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, there's obviously in that work, there's this whole a lot of covering up of faces, which I think, like, in part, that impulse is, is like, psychological in me, like, driven by something that was in my gut more than my rational mind. But there's also some rational explanations that I've come up with for it. And I think it has to do with wanting to resist photography's claim to like connecting with 
a person's soul. Like photography is just a flat piece of paper. And so I just, I started feeling like, I don't want to even play that game of like representing this human being. Mm -hmm. It had this falseness that I didn't feel like dealing with, at least at that time. Mm -hmm. And, and also just when it comes to, because the project is exploring a community of women in this small Mississippi town that I had become part of, that I had become part of this community. And so I had a lot of thoughts about representing women that also stems back from like things that I kind of studied a lot in college, just the idea of the male gaze, Mm -hmm. very simple things that I think as I came back to the United States, these like strong feelings I had about that reemerged in me. And I really wanted to resist, like, how could I make pictures with women that was resisting the voyeuristic gaze that was kind of the classic thing you do with the camera mm-hmm. and women. So yeah, that's kind of where I was coming from with the the knit club work. And also just, I think I was becoming more personal, like, I was dealing at that time with questions about choices I had made in my life about basically not deci- deciding not to have kids. And mm-hmm. I found myself really kind of nurtured by being around these women who all had kids and these bonds they seemed to have with each other and wanting to be part of that and questioning why I had tried to kind of avoid that that my whole life by running off around the world all alone with my camera. And so I think in that work, I was also exploring this kind of attraction and repulsion I had to those qualities of like femininity or like women's identity that are kind of part of our culture. And so Knit Club, how do we describe Knit Club? How would you describe it? Let me just say it's extremely unusual body of work. So how would you just describe it to the to the listeners who don't have the book in front of them like I do? Um, <laughs> well, I'm not very good at like the two sentence elevator pitch. <laughs> so but I'll try. I mean, I could read I have Vince, a description that Vince wrote in front of me. I'm happy to read if you if you prefer. Would that be better? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why don't you read that? Okay. <laughs> so. The humid atmosphere she conjures in the pictures, in the book, well, he's talking about the show also, but anyway, at Yancey, resembles a feminine counterpart to the first season of HBO's True Detective, (laughs) 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 with its twisty take on Southern Gothic and the charged intersection of the occult and outsider art. Her subjects, all but one women, are often seen through a smoky haze or otherwise partly hidden. The first picture in the book is of a woman who sits with her hands clasped and her upturned face covered in the slathered white bandages used to make a life cast. Another subject holds a finished mask in her hands like an empty bowl, a replica more alien than familiar. Other women look away or hide behind drapes or a yellowed newspaper. Drake herself appears wearing a pink negligee and an eagle head mask, a Halloween leftover that could be playful, but here amid other bits of strangeness, suggests some sort of ritual gathering. Does that not, (laughs) had you not seen that? (laughs) No, I have seen that. I haven't looked at that in a long time. But I mean, I think I definitely tapped into the Southern Gothic. I mean, I, 
I think, I think Vince is a the, great writer, by the way. I love him. I, I love the way he writes about photography. So Yeah, and I was so thrilled when that review came out. I felt, you know, very honored that Vince yeah. had written about my work. The only thing that I questioned was the um, reference to the TV show. I wasn't sure how I felt about <laughs> well, that. Well, I but think the, he was trying to uh, connect with, you know, it's, it's I think, a, a good way of uh, sort of a current cultural reference that he was but and in some ways the work is so unusual that I actually thought that was quite brilliant that he did that because if you're not looking at the work I mean it is just so unusual and the Mm -hmm. the minute he uses that reference and I don't know how many people saw that first season of True Detective but it is so strange and so disorienting but also mm-hmm. so beautifully done and so cinematic. And so in a way, I actually mm-hmm. thought it was just a really brilliant reference. Very Vince, because I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, the book is, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, how you got involved and what you wound up doing, you know, looking for your place and motherhood, and which is obviously such a loaded, such an emotional topic so primal and then the pictures that came out of that which are very moving at times but also extremely strange and borderline on menacing is not the right word but there is a light (laughs) there's a light menace in some Mm -hmm. ways in some of the pictures I I do want to underline something I think I said earlier They're, they're spectacularly beautiful I mean Often when I look at work, I really don't, you know, understand right away. I got to just be like, hang in there, Sasha, hang, hang in. <laughs> with, with this work, it's so beautiful that you just, you know, you're going to keep going. I mean, you know, and hope you find your way through. But the power, the, the, the beauty is so seductive in these pictures. Well, thank you. I think... The menace, you mentioned the word menace, mm-hmm. and um, I think I wanted to play with this, that feeling of, I'm depicting these women, you don't really know what's going on, so there's a feeling of uncertainty, mm-hmm. unknowingness, and in our culture, we tend to, like, there's this history of when women are doing things that you don't quite understand, that are out of the ordinary, that I can't quite explain, it feels menacing. And mm-hmm. that's really interesting. And I wanted to play with that feeling. Like, why do you feel menace? Because mm-hmm. we have this baggage of associations. So I wanted to play with that kind of legacy that is attached to unknowingness related to women, mm-hmm. women's activities. Wow. Yeah, um, that's that's really interesting. And tell me about the emphasis on the aesthetics and how you think about about that. Well, I mean, I can describe a little bit how it came about, and maybe that would explain part of it. I had a grant to make work in the South, and I was like, let me just go take pictures and see what happens. And then it just wasn't going anywhere. And I had this bad accident with a, I was doing a police ride along in this town, and this assistant and I got in a car accident with a policeman who was chasing a man down from Memphis who was trying to escape. And it was just this point where I was like, this is not what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And, no. <laughs> and also, at the around the same time, I kind of 
this woman who's a textile artist in this town, I had decided to kind of collaborate with her and have her help me embroider these rugs that I was going to put in my exhibition at SFMOMA. So I decided to put on the camera and just sit with her and work on these embroidered rugs for a couple of weeks. And she invited, she had all these friends who were into making quilts and sewing. And so they all came too. And we would kind of take turns being together. I mean, Sometimes I was alone, sometimes I was with culture, sometimes there would be five of us sitting there kind of around this quilting structure, just talking and like using the needle and thread. And it just was a moment of connection that I felt. And it was really what I really reflect on is that I put down the camera for a while and allowed something to come without having the camera with me. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of I ended up drawing from their lives and their environments and finding, because I became really interested in like sewing and and textiles at that point. And so I was interested in these materials from their lives. And I started working with those materials and borrowing those materials and borrowing the spaces that they lived in or that they were interested in. So that was the source, I guess, of the visuals, Mm -hmm. like the objects from their lives and their bodies and their children and their environments. But, you know, like, if you want to think about the aesthetic inspirations for that, like, afterwards, you know, people started talking how it's surrealism, you know, and I was learning about Dora Maar, and I did not know about Dora Maar. Like, I didn't even hadn't even thought of surrealism much before so i think and dorothea lang like people kind of think there's one image in particular that you know yeah. people connect to dorothea lang but i know which one those yep. things were like afterwards i think it was just the desire to create something that was an alternative to like documenting the real world and mm-hmm. to draw on the inspiration that i was finding and the excitement that i had about this connection with these women and and also like i wanted to make something more than what was there like you that we have all these associations like what the south is like and what southern women are like and these women aren't like that but i wanted to kind of create a kind of body of work where it's like, no, the world isn't what we think it is. Mm-hmm. It, and especially photography doesn't have to make the mm-hmm. world what it is. It can make anything. And so I kind of wanted to work with photography to make almost like an alternate world rather than fixing it as like a definition mm-hmm. of what it is. Did you discover anything about yourself as an artist through this project? I mean... I'm sorry, I'm probably embarrassing you because I just keep, I'm going to compliment you again. But did you, did you think like, oh my God, like, I mean, you've made a lot of incredibly beautiful photographs in your career, but this sort of, to me, is like a pinnacle. I mean, did you look at these and think, wow, like, (laughs) holy cow. I mean, (laughs) you know, you're just attention to color palette is extraordinary and the compositions are mind-boggling. I mean, the one with the girl or woman, I always think of it as a girl up the tree with the snake. And 
which I think of as the Garden of Eden picture. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're really staggeringly spectacular. And That's nice of you to say. One thing I've... One thing I've been kind of thinking through a lot in the past year is like kind of the value of being an artist who isn't concerned with what other people think. Mm -hmm. You know, you make what you're compulsed to make. Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, like I wouldn't worry about what people think of it. You know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't worry about whether the audience understands it. Although, I mean, that's a little tricky thing. But I think the goal is to make what you're inspired to make (laughs) when I showed the work to Paul Sheik at TBW Books Mm -hmm. and you know it was really amazing to have Paul is a very passionate Mm -hmm. person Mm -hmm. and you know I think with every project he works on he thinks it's the best book that was ever made right (laughs) and um and so he really expressed kind of a love for this work and a belief in the work. And that helped me believe in it. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I felt good about kind of pushing my boundaries while I was making it Mm -hmm. and the experimentation and the way I was really drawing from, you know, it it had things in common with the documentary process because I was engaging with this place pretty deeply and connecting with people there and because of those relationships I had with people, I was able to set up certain situations um, that were rooted in this real place. And so I felt good about that, but it also felt good to have Paul yeah. <laughs> kind well, of we're human, take so. an interest yeah. in the work. Yeah. yeah. It, would it be fair to say that because you felt so deeply about these people and this place and that you were really a part of it and connected and you had developed relationships, that intensity of feeling is also doing a lot for the pictures, the, the real intensity of your own feelings. Because the work is very, to me, is very emotional as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I how, mean, did that, and how did that feel? I mean, one thing that I, I just want to weave into that question is you had a conversation, a recorded conversation with Sarah Meister, the executive director of Aperture, in which you said, I spent much of my career running from this interior domestic space. And I I just Mm -hmm. wonder if, you know, now being in that and, and forming these powerful relationships is also a reason why the work is so beautiful. I'm a romantic. Um, I, I, what can I say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it taps into a, an emotional state, I think. But I mean, I've actually, because like the past, I don't know, like nine months or so, I've been talking to a therapist for the first time ever. And oh, this whole idea of getting it. <laughs> thank you. This whole idea of getting in touch with your emotions, like I think making this work was a way of expressing my emotions in a way that I hadn't articulated yet, yeah. like rationally. Yeah, that's and, what it feels like. And I think, you know, there's also benefits to learning what your emotions are so you can understand it in a rational way. But I think making work in a way has become a, an emotional process for me. And mm-hmm. I mean, it also makes it more intense to deal with, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're more vulnerable, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Which is 
you know, difficult. It's difficult. I mean, I think that's the most difficult part about being an artist, right? That vulnerability of if you're really putting yourself yeah. in the work. That's why it can hurt so much yeah. when someone doesn't like something you've done. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been there. I used to be a filmmaker and, you know, you try and tough it out. But, you know, you put the most vulnerable part of yourself out there and someone's like, meh. Or, you know, I don't yeah, you know, yeah. it's, it, it hurts. It's hard. It's, it's really painful. Yeah, yeah it's, it is. I mean, and then there's when money is attached to it. Also, that's a, another complication. Yeah. Like it's not just the money factor becomes how you're, how the work is valued. Like how much money can you make off of it mm-hmm. if you're trying to make a living off of mm-hmm, it? I mean, mm-hmm. and that's a weird can of worms that, you know, I'd rather not think about, but mm-hmm. um, I think artists have con- these conversation all the time. But uh, I mean, like the work that I've been making in the last couple of years is, God, I feel like that's the most vulnerable of all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, I don't think I'm going to just, I don't want to you know, like define it right now because I've approached this subject of men, I think, for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's masculinity or came down to the male body but I think I found that I don't have the same like true love for men that I photographed the same way I did for for example the women in knit club Mm -hmm. and so how does that translate into the images like that's I you know the images are pretty honest and they're not quite as loving as the Knit Club Mm -hmm. images. And Mm -hmm. like, what the hell are people going to say about that? But you kind of have to just do what's like the way I'm thinking about it now. It's like, that's what's been in me in this Mm -hmm. last couple of years. Mm -hmm. And there are reasons for it. And I'm going to put it out there. (laughs) Good. I look forward to seeing it when it's when it's ready. I think you're doing exactly what you should be doing. That's what makes an artist, uh, you know, I think that component of bravery and, and honesty is, is, you know, essential, just to state the obvious, my specialty. <laughs> well, on that note, we're approaching that time. Thank you so much, Carolyn, for, for talking with me. I, I have enjoyed talking with you so much and such a interesting and lovely person. And I look forward to our paths crossing sometime, maybe soon. And um, yeah, really just thank you so much for, for talking with us today. Well, I've, I'm honored that you invited me and it's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you and you're a very warm and generous podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. In real life, not so great, but um, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So take care. Be well. And um, until we meet again. Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Have a good week. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The associate producer is Taylor Selsback, and the executive producer is Sasha Wolf. Our theme music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and rate us with all the stars available on your listening platform. 